professionally, I, I saw those gaps. I was frustrated by them. I brought them to my supervisors and said, how do you guys want to address this? And a lot of the time it was just, we don't know. We don't have the tools needed. And so that's sort of what brought us to the point of saying, well, the scariest place that I wanted to bring Angel was to the anesthesia work environment, which is my own home professionally, but it is because I knew of these gaps that were in the care process. And so with a friend of mine and now business partner, and, and then now a third who's the engineer part of our team, came up with ideas that would basically engineer the solution to these problems. And thank you for joining the Made to Inspire podcast. This is the podcast for dreamers, entrepreneurs, and business owners who want to go to that next level in your life with Kimberly Smith Austin and Misty Garrigan. Each week, we will bring you tips, tools, and tactics that will inspire you to take action. Hey, 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 I'm Kimberly Smith Austin, and I want to welcome you back to the Made to Inspire podcast. I am here with my awesome and amazing co-host, Misty Kerrigan. Hey, Misty. Hey, Kimberly. How are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. It is a beautiful day in Southern California, and I'm super excited to be here today. We have an amazing guest that was in our book and has a great story that we are hoping is going to give you inspiration tools, techniques, some nuggets, and definitely, I can guarantee you, a few insights. Yes. And you know what? It is my absolute pleasure to bring to you today, Illinois, all the way in California. In fact, he's <laughs> in the big city of Redlands. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We are so happy to have you here. And I know you've probably heard that we're in the midst of a series. It's called idea to action to income. We're teaching people how to take those ideas that are in their head and in their heart to lead them to the path of creating a career, a lifestyle that they love, that they're passionate about. And Nick, I know that you have an amazing story. So will you tell us a little bit about who you are, a little bit of background on you? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. So, yeah, my background is actually as a clinician. I am a nurse by trade. I've been in the nursing profession for almost 20 years. Um, 15 of those years, these last 15 is as a nurse anesthetist specializing in anesthesia. But as a clinician, my wife and I, we were at the Children's Hospital and that's where we met our son. He was abandoned there as a child because of his medical condition. And because of my profession, I was able to bring him home and be his caretaker and provider. And in doing that, exposed myself to not only an amazing situation for our whole family and for what ends up being the community that supported us, but also gave me an opportunity to use really this opportunity that was so challenging and incredibly life-changing to uh, learn lessons that now I get to share with other people. And so, through that, I've invented, now an inventor, I guess you can say, because of my patents that have been filed and, and have been a and part of my story, as well as the entrepreneur part of it that's still developing. I am in that process, and uh, that is sort of what brings us, I think, to this opportunity to share with you guys. So the process from being a clinician, inspired by problems that have taken place within now a personal story, and uh, growing that into a solution-based 
opportunities for for the community, for everyone that's really going to be hopefully impacted by by these uh, ideas. Wow. Well, I have to say first, before we go any further, what heart you had, you saw a person that was abandoned, a life. I don't know the age at the time, but he was alive and abandoned at the hospital. And you had a heart so big that you said, let's take him home. Let's take him home and help him get, bring him back to health, but help him be, become a part of our family. And I know that Angel was a part of your family for many years. How many years, Nick, was Angel with you all? Yeah, Angel, we met when he was around one years of age and we brought him home when he was two turned three really shortly after. And uh, we had an amazing journey. He grew and thrived from school to riding bikes and karate to going on cruises and traveling, but also had a very complex medical condition that required multiple transplants. And unfortunately, later in his life, ended with having cancer, which was just overwhelming to his body. And he passed away at 15 years old. So he was with us for over 12 years. And uh, that was about six years ago. So he, this year he'd be 21, which is crazy, right? I mean, 20 years ago, we basically met him. Wow. Wow. I'll tell you, that touches my heart hearing that story and knowing your family personally. I know the things that you've gone through. I've heard the stories. And I'll tell you, that is the start of everything from what I understand. So you brought Angel home and in the process of helping him stay healthy and indoctrinating him into the family, that's when your discovery started happening. That's when you experienced something and decided you wanted to do something about it. Will you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So he was in the hospital for 28 out of his first 36 months of life, primarily because of what's called central line infection. Basically, his medical condition required that he had a catheter placed into his bloodstream that he got daily infusions of nutrition that was IV infusion based. So basically he could eat, but he wouldn't grow. So he needed IV fluid to provide him those nutrients. Problem is, is an infection like anybody's infections for any part of their body can be life uh, altering, limiting for him. It was hospitalizations after hospitalizations. He had over a dozen of these lines in those first few years. And then in our care, we saw a big change. I am very vigilant, of course, in my approach and taking care of this uh, central line is what we called it. And for the next four years, as he grew and developed in those first four years, he actually outgrew that little baby line that he had. And they put a larger line in, which because he needed it every day, we used it every day. Then he had that one for the next 10 years without another infection. And it was just an incredible, really if you have one of these scenarios, you may be fortunate for one or two years. I know that his 10 years wasn't a record because we are in the community and we know people that have had more success than that, but it is extremely, extremely rare. And we didn't do it just by chance. And I think that's really what it came down to is what those lessons that we learned, what we needed to do with the techniques that we used, with the devices that were provided for us, and as well as just having just the mindfulness sort towards preventing these issues, these infections that were really plaguing him in his first years and would have continued to be even more challenging if it wasn't for those interventions. So, Wow. Now, I know that that was huge for you all recognizing and going through this process with your angel and all of that, finding out, discovering the process, 
and and not even discovering the process, but discovering some of the challenges that happened with individuals who were on this tube or on this process, you decided to do something about it. Not just to sit and be a part of it and watch, but you said, no, I want to do more. That's right. You know, I think the thing was, is there was a big disconnect between what I was doing as a clinician professionally and seeing being done by my colleagues and what was then required of me at home. So the vigilance, obviously, when you own it, when it's yours to be uh, taken care of, there's a different attentiveness. And I think that changed me professionally. I mean, obviously, we do our best for the people that we take care of. But when you realize and there's a person behind every one of these situations, it does change you. So sort of the perspective of being on both sides of the bed is what I would used to say. Sometimes I was the patient side and sometimes I was the clinician side. So that changed me. But on the clinician side, there wasn't enough attentiveness and there wasn't enough. Uh, I don't know if it was really about training, but I, I really do think. So, for instance, in my anesthesia training, and also in my anesthesia professionally life, the environment is just so different. It's dynamic. There's rapid things happening. You're supposed to give all these IV medications in a very short amount of time. And there's disinfection procedures that they tell you you need to do, but in some circumstances, and then many times, they're just not feasible to be done. And so what ends up happening is you compromise the possibility of having these contaminations of bacteria from your hands or the environment going into these patients' catheters into their bloodstream, and you may not see the results of it because two, three, seven days later is when it sort of crops up and nobody really knows where it came from. But it really does come from these moments where providers don't follow those procedures. So professionally, I I saw those gaps. I was frustrated by them. I brought them to my supervisors and said, how do you guys want to address this? And a lot of the time it was just, we don't know. We don't have the tools needed. And so that's sort of what brought us to the point of saying, well, the scariest place that I wanted to bring Angel was to the anesthesia work environment, which is my own home professionally, but it is because I knew of these gaps that were in the care process. And so with a friend of mine and now business partner, and and then now a third who's the engineer part of our team came up with ideas that would basically engineer the solution to these problems. And so that is really, we have put a lot of energy into putting solutions to these problems, but through engineering, because like, for instance, the example that, you know, was used the other day. And I, I thought it was a great example was the anti-lock brake on your car. So, you know, when you're driving and someone says, when you see something in the road, don't slam on your brake because then you're going to skid possibly. Okay. So what do you do? Well, you're supposed to pump the brake, but in that moment you see someone jump out in front of you. What do you do? You step on the the break and then that right. would have skid you into the problem. So right. what they did is they engineered the anti-lock brake. So then now you step on the brake real hard and was it do it, does it for you, that pumping action so you don't go skidding into the problem. So sort of what we did with our first device, we had a multi-port delivery device is what we call it. It has integrated filtration. These filters can capture some of those contaminants, whether it be the microbes from the hands of the providers of the environment. But if accidentally not maybe purposely, but accidentally, if you're not doing those procedures of disinfection, then those contaminants don't go to the patient. They get the downstream uh, capture from these integrated filters. And it seems so obvious, like, okay, you put filters in the IV set. I mean, doesn't that exist? Well, it does in certain forms, but the problem was, is if you have it in every uh, line of tubing, if you want to say, there's some things that aren't compatible. There's some things that draw issues from Uh, flow rates or high pressures or things like that make it difficult. So what we did is basically had multiple ports 
And the majority of them have filters. And if a provider or a, like anesthesia provider doesn't want that, they can still use the non-filtered. So it's an all-in-one device. It has integrated filters for those majority of those scenarios where you can use it, but still integrates into the normal workflow. So that was our first sort of idea. We thought, okay, what do we do with this? Drew it up on a napkin at Starbucks for reals. We did that in, uh, in Westwood, California and uh, sat down and then brought it to a friend of mine who was my college roommate, which, you know, you just don't know about the community that you have, you know, it's like the friends that you have, the community that you have. He went through engineering school. Then he went to law school and became a patent attorney. And he said, come in my office, share me, share with what you got. It sounds good on a phone call. And we drew it up and submitted it for our first patent. And then in the U.S., it got approved. So it was like, oh, my gosh, it didn't go overnight. A few years later, we got the approval for it was issued patent. And uh, so that sort of fire, you know, was sort of building and the excitement was building. And now it's like, okay, great. We've then since then filed four more patents. Uh, We have a second that's been also issued. So we have two issued patents um, and uh, three more that are in the pipeline. So the ideas behind solution mindedness of like, this is a problem. Let's see if we can find the solution. And sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's, you know, it's right in there in front of you, but putting the effort and energy into it is sort of what uh, we're doing now to commercialize it and actually bring it to the masses, bring it to the people that we hope we can uh, save their lives, save their pains that they would have in these scenarios that happen every day. I love that. Uh, in every career, and I'm sure we can all attest to it, is there's moments where there's gaps and the genuine thing to say is that's just what happens. Mm-hmm. When you're in this field for so long and it's common, unfortunately, even though something as common as that is not good for the patient, it's not even good for the hospital or the doctor, but if it happens and it's common, we have a tendency as humans to be like, oh, that's a side effect. That's just what happens. And you, uh, and I love how you said, I, I wrote it down. It's going to be in our notes because it's phenomenal. When you own something, you look at it differently. Mm-hmm. When you own something, you look at it differently. And to take that next step to that's just what happens and goes to, but does it need to? Yes, that's just what happens, but does it need to? First question, right? Does it need to? What's causing it to happen? And can we do something to decrease it happening or even stop it happening? And you could have easily put together a, a form and done a training and then they could have printed something in the office and you see them all over, like, please wash your hands or, you know, like some visual reminder. But you took that next step, right? The idea was how do we get the human error out of it? Is there a system we could create through an automation where if someone does not do what they need to do or and we're not blaming or shaming, but what can a machine stop? Like you said, some of these infections. And as you dove in, you probably then started figuring out this is not compatible with this. This causes more infection if it touches that. So when you solved one problem, you probably invented 50 more that your idea started to have to swing in there and solve. That Was that exciting, the, the more problems you were discovering as you were getting closer to the solution? Oh, absolutely. I, and I think that's really where the other devices kind of play out. They really do complement each other. It is sort of a journey. It is a process. And so as one is addressed, you start to say, well, we 
could improve this other one. And, and we're really excited about the next product, which is a UV light uh, disinfection, which is being now used thanks to COVID. Everybody is aware of yeah. kind of these wor- big words of like infection prevention and UVs, dis, uh, you know, disinfection or whatever you, you know, those common, but basically what we've done is we've used it for these, IV connectors. So we basically apply that same UV technology and what the current procedure, there's a lot of human factors in cleaning, you know, whether you wipe it for two seconds or you scrub it like you're supposed to, if you use the right amount of time, friction, the right chemical, there's all these factors. And what we've said is, well, if we use a very standardized approach with a light source, we can nearly sterilize these surfaces, what we've discovered on the bench testing that we've done. And that this new technology is actually allowing us to do a better job and standardizing it through technology of a handheld device that's basically a smart little computer handheld and a little plastic applicator that would be the the lens, if you want to say, to the surface that you're sterilizing or just disinfecting. And it's a very small space. We're not trying to do a big room. We're not trying to do like what, you know, others have done in the, you know, like big machines. We're looking at just the pathway for medication administration. And so... What we've sort of come up with is if you can disinfect those surfaces and you do it so well that, you know, you basically eliminate the human factor of trying to, did we do it well enough? Do we not standardizing it? But if not, again, we have downstream filtration like this, that first device. So again, it's sort of a built-in complementary system of improving the process. And uh, ultimately our goal is to remove these problems from, you know, the workflows that are so uh, difficult, so challenging, and uh, and you know, we want to be more patient-centered. I guess is sort of our results. You know, instead of we are very provider-centered. I think we're just that's our nature of who we are. And so, engineering these solutions for the patient, you know, staying so focused on these outcomes, uh, and ultimately, it's the outcome of, of the patient. Is it safe to say that taking the time that you did take in the beginning with Angel and decreasing those infections increased the quality of his life? Oh, a hundred percent. And I think that's, that is uh, where we found so much um, our expectations. We didn't know, you know, here's a child who spent 28 months in the hospital. We thought we'd probably just be living in the hospital with him, you know, just advocating through this journey that he was going to have. We never went back. I mean, I mean, for like seven years, we stayed on course to a very normal life, you know, like through all the different things. And it was that success that really did uh, fuel uh, an appreciation of, man, we can make a difference, not only for this one child, but if we make a difference at this one child, this could be not only replicated through inspiring others to do the same, but creating devices to also help uh, providers in everyday kind of hospitalized care or even home care. It's all really in that uh, subspecialty space because of Angel. And the care, I love that. And with the, the decrease in infections, do you think that contributed to the nutrition and him even growing and getting stronger because his body wasn't fighting all the time and it got to focus on the growing and getting him to the level to, as you were saying, almost have a normal childhood and play sports and be with the family and not spend every moment in a hospital or feeling taken care of or bed rested, honestly. Yeah. And then on antibiotics all the time and all those things that went with it, uh, the damage his body had gone through in those first 28 months really did set a course for him. And thank God we were able to intervene. But yeah, without those infections holding him back, I mean, this child grew and th- was thriving and he uh, 
exceeded our expectations and, and really inspired all of us just to watch that as it, you know, unfolded right in front of us. I love that, Nick. And, and when, when I listened to the whole story, you know, having heard pieces over the years, but here's one thing I think about, and this is really to our listeners, to our entrepreneurs, to our dreamers, people who are ready to step out. You saw a problem. You could have, like Missy said, just left it where it is, created a form and went on about your life. But this was personal to you. And as a result of that personal touch, you decided to do more. But what I heard is that it was not something that happened overnight for you. It was a process. And when I think about the medical industry in itself, here's a couple of things I think about. Patents, the time involved to get to this place from where you were to where you are. There was time to create prototypes and things like that. Tell us a little bit about the amount of time that it took for you to create these products, but also the journey, because I know there's peaks and there's valleys, right? There's times when you're like, we can do it, we can do it. And then something happens and it's not approved and it sets you back for a little bit. Tell us about your time and the journey. What kept you keep going? What kept you to say, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that actually begins from the beginning. I mean, from when, you know, having Angel for all those years and having all that 13 years or 13 years plus of going through those peaks and valleys with his successes and with the, the hardships and the the failures and the overall just, just general experience takeaway was it does take time. It does it doesn't happen overnight. And, and so, for instance, the patent we filed in 2015. So here we are all these years later. And so we got it uh, issued, you know, within about four years. So that puts us about 2019. We accelerated the second patent because we were a little impatient. And so we got it done in about two and a half, three years. And we have three more now that are still pending. So those all take time. They all take money. So those are always the thing, too, is, OK, this doesn't happen just because you have a great idea. So how do you do it? So we sort of had the friends and family round of, you know, form a business. Okay. We got an entity, we got a lawyer. We had some people help us sort of some of it's because they're friends. Some of us we hired, we, and we brought in, you know, a system basically through our company that we, uh, you know, got support financially through selling part of our company, basically through shares and played that whole game to try and get to the point where, what do we have that's presentable? What can we get? Do we need to go after grant funding? And talking about having setbacks, we spent a bunch of money on trying to get the grant funding. We didn't get it. So then, okay, mm-hmm. we didn't get it. And that takes time because you file a grant six months later, you hear back. So in those six months, you're just hoping and then it doesn't. So you can't count, you know, these chickens before they hatch. So that, okay, now what do you do? Well, we got the patents, which was a big part of it. We assembled a team with this engineer adding into our portfolio and the technologies with this UV light. And then the timing was crazy because as much as COVID was really hard for everybody and for me personally and the hospital work that I had to go through and everybody's life definitely changed the awareness for infection prevention. All of a sudden we went to investors last year, said the same things we've been saying (laughs) since 2015. And what do you know? There's like an interest. There's an appetite. There's like, oh, I've heard about this. I think this is a thing we should support. So last year we did a a round of funding right before the year closed out. We raised a million dollars, which was amazing. Kicked off our, basically our company. Yeah. HEI Solutions was born prior to that, but really 
the fuel went in the tank and uh, it was exciting. So that was like our big success. And then the realization is we have a ton of work to do. We got to do, <laughs> we got to do right by not only all the patients that we want to help, but all the investors that have just stepped up to the plate to make it happen. So this year has been sort of uh, full throttle trying to get these devices through manufacturing to the FDA. We've talked to the FDA about what the first device and they've given us the roadmap. Now we're submitting that at the end of the year. We have it in manufacturing. So we have all these parts that we're working on and uh, talking about failures. Uh, man, you go through these each of these steps and they give you feedback. I mean, you get feedback from the FDA and you change it a little bit. You get feedback from your manufacturing. You think you got it. And then when you get the prototypes off the line and they're having problems, okay, how are you going to fix it? So you fix one problem and then next, you know, another one. So that's just part of it, you know, and it takes time. It takes uh, persistence, you know, it, it does take sort of that uh, patient approach uh, for, for all of us and, and the people, all these individuals that we now both have within the company and hired with the funds that we've been provided uh, it takes a team of people. I mean, it is like a big ordeal with lots of folks, hands and brains and everybody contributing. Uh, but here we are, uh, 2021. And, yeah. uh, you know, so a few years behind us since that napkin drawing at Starbucks. And uh, we're still... How many years ago was that? So what is that? Six years, if I'm doing the math right. So six years to get to this point where we have funding and we have patents we have a manufacturer that's delivering parts that are sort of uh, what we would say is pre-FDA. So we're, we're sort of near completion. So what FDA requires is a completed product. We have to do a bunch of testing, biocompatibility, sterility, all these things, packaging. And then we have to do testing. And then the testing, all of those reports go to the FDA. So we're working on that right now. Six years, you said, I'm not giving up. And I want to say to our audience, to our listeners, some things will take time, but as long as you have that passion in your heart, you're determined and you're committed and you say to yourself, I'm not giving up. Don't give up. Don't lose hope because with time, it will happen. Persistence, patience. We talk about all of that in the 31 Laws of Inspiration, as well as our previous shows. And Nick has shared with you his journey. He's in a challenging industry, which is medical, which, as you heard, FDA, all these other industries involved, funding required. But despite it all, he kept going. We want to encourage you to keep going. Don't lose hope because your dream is right around the corner. Just keep going. In fact, it's three feet from goal. Right, Misty? Great book. You got to read it. We see movies where there's setbacks. We get to watch the like, oh, we're struggling in the beginning and then at the end, the triumph. And unfortunately, we only see a 10 minute montage of the work that goes into the big breakthrough. And your montage took six years and you had to align everything with timing. So you had this idea of pre-COVID, you tried it, you kept going with it. And then when the timing aligned, everyone was like, yes, this is important. It was always important. And if you have that in your idea that this is important, you just don't see it yet. I know this is important. I lived it. I watched my son grow and I watched my son play and I watched my son have a life. And I want other people to watch their family members do the same. It's important. It's, it's vital that this happens. 
So when your the timing is ready and it's everyone else is caught up to where you guys are in your company, right? Everyone's like, oh yeah, this is needed. Where you're like, yes, it is. And then you're able to move forward with it. But if you have that belief that it's important, other people just don't see it yet. And it's my job to ensure they see it. Because as soon as someone is personally impacted by it, that's where everything kind of comes together. And you said it in the beginning, Nick, you said you don't know who's in your community. If you start just telling people, reaching out and talking about Angel and your journey and why you're doing everything you do, how does more people not want to invest and help this journey of this company explode? And, and you're on that track. You're, you get to almost hit the fun part, right? Where you're like, okay, all this six years has now accumulated to the moments we're in now and we know how to speed stuff up. The other thing I want to point out to our readers is Nick was talking about how the roadmaps create themselves as you go. We don't know everything. You don't know about the FDA. And then you get to meet them and you're like, oh, that's new. And then I know sometimes in government, after you even do what they said and take it back, they say, oh, yeah, we didn't mean it that way. Can you go ahead and change it to this way? And you're like, but you're the one that said do it this way. And they're like, yeah, we're sorry. Please come back. <laughs> so those were it could be frustrating and it's easy to quit. And me and Kimberly laugh all the time because we meet with people and we're like, how long have you been on your journey? And they're like, oh, two months. It's not working. I'm ready to, to get a new idea. And we're like, yeah, you have an idea, not a passion. Not that right. either is great. There's some great ideas that have that. But if you're on that journey, man, that passion is going to drive you to six years later where you're, that napkin is hung up in your office because it, you know what it took and you know what it means. That's 100% true. You said it exactly right. I mean, the reality is that, like you just described with the, the government, the plans with the FDA, they give you the roadmap. When you come back and say, I achieved the roadmap, they said, that's the last guy told you that. And this is 2021. <laughs> so we're going to do it a little different. So that is totally, completely true and accurate. And it, even in our own experiences, we've had that. So yeah, staying, stay in the course. That's it. Stay the court. And I wrote that down as a note. That was one of our podcasts. And that's actually involved in our next book, which is the 31 Laws of Inspiration. We talk about how to stay the course. Now, Nick, one thing that I wrote down that I think is really important, what you've done from this passion that started back when you brought Angel in as a, fam as a family member, you've done so much more since that time. I want you to share with our audience a little bit about how you're keeping Angel's legacy alive, but also what else have you done to expand your family? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, Angel's story is one story. I, the story is actually so much bigger. Uh, when we were, um, it, it makes me a little bit emotional, which is interesting to even start thinking about it. But when, when we were in the hospital with him, you know, we saw... Um, a perspective that was so different in the sense that children's hospitals, and maybe it's just Southern California. I like to believe that it's local, but that there was a lot of kids in the hospital without family. There was just a reality that families dynamics kept families at home, taking care of their kids or their jobs while their sick, you know, siblings or their children were being taken care of by the staff at the hospital. And though the visiting hours allowed at UCLA where we were open hours, you could come as much as you want. And that's what we did as our family did. I actually did mostly the nights and Sarah, my wife did mostly the days we crossed over a lot of that time, but that was over a thousand nights. I stayed at the hospital at his bedside during those last uh, six years of his life. So I got to experience 80% of the kids in the hospital didn't have anybody with them. It was just crazy. Wow. It was like, 
orphanages of America are the children's Ooh. hospitals. It's hard to believe, but it's just the reality of it. Because, you know, the nurses and doctors do the best they can possibly do, and they mean well. It's still an institution. It doesn't replace the family. And so, unfortunately, those scenarios played out every day, every night, and I would see it firsthand. And it's funny because this is sort of our family grew. So, Angel had siblings. Uh, and so, the next in line was Hudson, which happens to be uh, Kimberly's son. And Hudson have been friends for a long time. And so, Hudson's now 16. So, he was in the journey. My daughter, Haven, so she was born at the hospital at UCLA during one of the major transplants. So we had all kinds of stuff going on at that moment in life. And what we ended up doing, which was interesting, not intentionally, but Hudson would actually go around and make friends with the kids in the hospital because he was there. And they wouldn't let me as the laws of healthcare privacy laws, they would sort of keep the, you know, the adults out of the business of these patients, but the kids could interact. And so Hudson was sort of like our, um, I don't know. He was like our advocate for the needs of these kids. He would come back, report to us. So-and-so doesn't have any, you know, toys or doesn't have pajamas or doesn't, he, you know, ha- doesn't, you know, doesn't get out of his room because of whatever reason, things that I wouldn't have otherwise known. And Hudson would then go back with the things that we, you know, he'd want to oh, fix yeah. those problems. So Angels Hope is an organization that we formed, a nonprofit that basically said that we want families take the barriers away as much as we can to come be with their kids. And so if it provided transportation, we would provide the funds to do that. We'd raise money or housing. There was hotels or, you know, places to stay. Unfortunately, we didn't have a Ronald McDonald house, which sort of does that for a lot of children's hospitals. So we started a nonprofit called Angels Hope and just basically with the objective of doing sort of that mission of helping families stay together during long-term hospitalizations. And so that's been in place for several years that we've done toy donations. We, we did recent uh, during, it just happens to be during um, Angel's birthday now. So in, in December, which is like the time of giving anyways, everybody likes the idea because the holidays and Christmas is around that time. We do a toy drive and we do it for Angel's birthday. And so that is what we then collect every year on his birthday for Angel's Hope. And we deliver it to, we did this last couple of years to Loma Linda Children's Hospital. So uh, the Angels Hope is a nonprofit. My wife and I uh, facilitate that. We also have had the opportunity to support his graduating class at his private school that he was at, honored him on the year that he would have graduated. So we gave a, a, a grant award to a graduate that was going to go into the healthcare field. So we've done that every year. So that's kind of uh, part of the story as well. It's just building the community, building um, through uh, these experiences, um, uh, the next generation of, of, you know, caretakers or healthcare providers or professionals who may change their mind and go into a different area of focus, but ultimately, you know, keeping a mindset for, you know, scenarios of, of need, of certain scenarios of, of finding the solutions to these really complex, really difficult problems. And so that's an extension of what we've done in that regard. And also our family continues to grow. We've had uh, Malachi who's joined us. He's five this year. We adopted him. He came when he was one and uh, his adoption was completed around two or three. So he turned five this year. And then we, this during COVID, it was not boring. We got a call for (laughs) twins. And so we had said, yes, we had toddler twins show up during COVID. And so their adoption actually is finalized next week. And so we've signed papers for them. And so we have toddler twins who are two and a half 
there'll be three in November. So we have a full house and uh, this is nap time. So it's like my downtime, but it is always busy. It's always fun. Kimberly can attest. Uh, it's, it's a party at our house, but yeah, our family's still growing, you know, God willing. And, and we have uh, teenagers and toddlers and a, and a son in heaven who, uh, you know, it, it's just been an amazing, uh, our growing family dynamics. Uh, it's been an amazing process. So. And don't forget, uh, Christian, your um, weekend son sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We, we get that clarified. Christian says, you know what? No, I'm in this lineup too. And I came before <laughs> these other little guys showed up. So uh, don't count me out. So we, we have a seat in our car for him or vacations or upstairs hanging out doing video games, whatever the, the boys want to be doing. But yeah, no, Christian's been part of it. It's been, I think, since the boys were like around elementary third, yeah. fourth grade, something like yeah. that. So these boys are getting big. They're bigger than me yeah. and faster than Kimberly. And uh, uh, you saw that video, huh? You saw that video. I did. Yeah. So they're growing up and and we're we're honored to be able to to be in this together. So Nick, I will say it has been an absolute joy having you on the show. One of the things that I think about is the man that you are, the family you've created, the service you've given to, to the community has been overwhelming. In fact, I got goosebumps. I was ready to cry. I had to keep it all together because we're on camera. So when you think about your journey, I want you to share, you know, anywhere between one, three tips that you can give our listeners when they have something in their hearts that they are passionate about, maybe, and they've identified a problem that they want to try to go attack. Can you give them some tips, some things that you can recommend they do to help them on their journey? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, focusing on service, you know, I think that's so good for all of us. You just focus on service, the service of others, taking care of the the community and finding people to, to support that process. So finding those people that are part of that as well. So finding your supporters, being part of the supporting group, you know, so, so, you know, serving others, looking for the community that is aligned with serving and looking for solutions, you know, I think that's the thing is not just being okay with the status quo or this is just the result of, uh, you know, these problems that exist, but looking for solutions. And so really that's sort of in summary of what I would say from professionally get involved, personally get involved and find people who do the same and, uh, you know, look for the solutions because they're out there and, uh, you know. They can uh, be put into place and it can really make a big difference. I want to I want to hit a main point because there's a lot of people out there. And, and Nick, you are our people because you're just as crazy as us. And I want to summarize this. Is it fair to say you have an amazing marriage? Uh, it's fair to say that. Yeah, I've heard rumors that you and your wife are pretty much in love. Yes. Amazing marriage. You're raising six kids, if I'm correct. That's right. Right, right now, six kids. You have a important day job that has been crazy during COVID. Everyone knows the healthcare uh, workers and, and thank you for all that you do are, are were bombarded and had to hold us down as we went through this pandemic. And then you found the time to, I don't know, start a company and a nonprofit. That happened. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. All that's true. But you know what, without a life partner that I have in Sarah, there's no way, you know, she's amazing. She is, uh, in so many ways, I always tease half my brain's in her head and half of hers is in mine. I, there's no way I could do it without her. So that's the truth. And so, yeah, family, professionally, service oriented, all these things that she is. And so, yeah, with life partners, 
uh, like I have with, with Sarah, it, it makes all the difference. It really is. I, I wouldn't be who I was without having her. So I, I definitely have to say that, but yeah, all those things are true. It's crazy. And over 20 years, uh, you know, in this sort of, we've been married for that long. Uh, this is what we've uh, done. This is what we've initiated, embraced, and, uh, you know, are passionate about. And you are yeah. impacting so many more other people with, with your passion and your lives and your family. And you didn't say, let's wait for the right time. Let's wait till the boys are a little older and then we can get it some more. No, you're like, okay, kids, uh, a hospital, let's bring him home. So you never waited for the right time. It sounds like you felt a need and then you served that need and you just let life come with you. And I think that that's a very inspiration, especially to some of our, I know you're out there. Some of our listeners are like, I want it all, but I, I need to pull back and not have it all. You can have it all. You almost made me cry, Nick. That would be the first time on the podcast. was <laughs> Amazing. And I want to say thank you. Where can we find you? Where can we find your company? And where can we find Angels Hope if you've moved some other people that want to contribute? Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, our company, HEI Solutions. You can find us on HEISolutions.com. It's actually HEI-Solutions. Uh, we're on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Professionally, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there. Uh, Nick Parano. I'm on Twitter as well. Facebook is where Angels Hope is. If you even search Team Angel, you'll probably find the 10 years of my wife's uh, labor and sharing our journey. But Angels Hope is on uh, Facebook where we have a donation page and we run a fundraiser annually for Angels Hope. And uh, yeah, that's uh, so social media. You'll find us. Of course, uh, if anyone asks, you know, through your uh, connections, feel free to point in my way. I'd be happy to connect as well. So, Nick, thank you so much for being here with us at the Made to Inspire podcast. We really appreciate you. We loved hearing your story. Oh, thank you again. It's been an honor. I really appreciate the time. As we say on every show, there's something out here waiting for you. Now go get it. Thank you for listening to the Made to Inspire podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and have picked up some tips, tools, and tactics that will help you move into action. Make sure you follow us on social media. We are made the number two, the letter N, Spire You. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube. We're out there. But best of all, we ask that you leave us a review. Let us know what you thought. Let us know how you're going to use the information that we're sharing week after week to help you take your inspiration into action. We appreciate you and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode.